Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. It was good to have somewhat of a praise team here, wasn't it? Thanks be to God for that. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come now to seriously consider your word. For in every time of life, your word can apply to us and help us to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and how to walk more like him. So as we come now, Lord, we just ask that you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, make them wholly yours, that together we might grow in grace. And in the love of Jesus Christ, these things I ask and pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, welcome back to this sermon series from Philippians on joy. You know, one of the questions uh, that's had been nagging me during this sermon series is whether or not um, this was the Roman imprisonment that ended Paul's life. See, I've glanced over conflicting arguments in my studies, and I've decided that it's important for me to formulate my best answer to this question. For in doing so, it better helps me to interpret today's scripture lesson. So forgive me and bear with me a moment, because I've got to answer my own question. The book of Acts ends, y'all familiar with the book of Acts, right? Yeah, okay. The book of Acts ends with, do I need to do a whole series on it again? No. Oh, no, okay. All right. The book of Acts ends with Paul's captivity under house arrest in Rome for two years. Paul rented a home and he could receive visitors during this time. It was also during this time that Paul penned what are known by many as the prison epistles that includes Philippians. Now, while there's some scholarly debate as to whether or not Paul was executed at the end of this time under Roman house arrest, um, he was likely not. The organized persecutions of Christians under the Roman Emperor Nero took place following the great fire that destroyed much of that city in 64 AD. Now, that's two years after Paul's house arrest. And y'all, that was some real persecution, like taking Christians, feeding them to lions, um, taking Christians, covering them in pitch, skewering them, and lighting them on fire to light the streets of Rome at night. Whenever you think you face some sort of persecution, let's think about what our brothers and sisters faced when this whole Christianity thing got started. It appears that during the time following the fire of Rome, Paul was imprisoned a second time in Rome, this time not under house arrest, but in a, in, in a, in a cell in a dungeon. Paul's second letter to Timothy affirms Paul's understanding of his coming demise when he writes, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Therefore, Paul was probably executed around the year 65 AD. And as was custom for a citizen of Rome, or a Roman citizen, he was beheaded with a sword. As we look at today's scripture lesson, though, there's just no hint that Paul believes his current imprisonment is going to end with his execution. And I don't think it did. In verse 19, he writes in today's lesson, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered up when I receive news about you. And then again in verse 23, Paul writes, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, I want you to underline that word hope. I know it's one of those words we use all the time, but this one's worth thinking about. And, of course, I'm going to say something about the Greek. It's just what I do. The word for hope in the Greek is elpizo. And while it means hope, it has a, spe a specific connotation to the person of Jesus. Paul says it rightly in verse 19. His hope is in the Lord. His hope is in a person. See, even when we hope that our circumstances will change, as Christians, our hope is not in the thing or the things that we want to change. Our hope is in the person of Jesus who never disappoints and who has the power to use all circumstances to achieve his will. That's why it's so important to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's why it's so important to exercise with Jesus often. Because when we do, we recognize that in addition to joy, we've also been gifted with hope. See, friends, hope is a down payment on a future. Hope is a down payment on the future, and Jesus is all the future any of us will ever need. That we are able to hope is proof of God's grace in our lives. You see, joy and hope, they work together. That we are able to hope reminds us of the joy of having Jesus in our hearts, in our faith communities, and forever, forever in our future. Paul was clearly hopeful that he would see the Philippians again, so much so that he was planning two visits. One later on for himself, whenever he got out of this whole imprisonment thing, and one very soon for two faithful disciples named Timothy and Epaphroditus. In this passage, Paul was demonstrating the joy of future planning. The Joy of Future Planning. Now, that's the title for today's sermon, in case you didn't know that already. The Joy of Future Planning. See, Paul was not allowing his present circumstances to demotivate him. The circumstances may be bad, but God is good, and God has a plan. There is joy for planning in the future, isn't there? Because in the future, there are, there are possibilities. 
In the future, there are dreams to dream. Think about those instances in your own life when you found joy in planning. Perhaps you were graduating from high school or graduating from college. You're planning your next steps for your life. Perhaps you are engaged and you're planning your wedding. Perhaps you were or you are planning to be parents or planning to be grandparents. It's exciting. There is joy in planning because it reminds us that there is a future. And when we are reminded that there is a future, we are reminded of hope. And hope does not disappoint when hope is placed in Jesus. Funny thing about planning, though, the plans we have don't always turn out like we think they will. As the American cartoonist and writer Alan Saunders reminds us, life is what happens while we're making other plans. Life is what happens while we're making other plans. Ain't that the truth? Even here at Christ Community, we had this awesome plan. We had this awesome timeline for renovation. We were going to be able to worship in our newly renovated sanctuary for Easter Day. It was an exciting plan. I was stoked. We were stoked. We're going to worship in there. It's going to be awesome. Easter Day. We'll be ready to go. And then life happened. The coronavirus happened. And construction stopped. And it wasn't even safe for us together in groups of more than 10. In the course of my pastoral career, excluding funerals, I can count on one hand those moments where I have found myself deeply and profoundly saddened professionally. Friday, March the 20th, 2020, at 12 o'clock p.m., was one of those moments of profound sadness in my career. That was when the construction abruptly stopped. The construction crew left our church and along with them took most of their equipment. The stopping of construction firmly cemented in my mind that this coronavirus crisis was actually real. I don't know that I really accepted it by then. It, it confirmed that it was actually real, that, that I wasn't going to get to see many of you for a long time, and that the way we worship and how we gather in the future will be changed, at least in the near future. All those plans, all that hard work, 
all the years of our lives planning and preparing for this project, and then life happened. And in a matter of a few days, our circumstances changed dramatically, and along with them, our plans. Then I had a choice to make. Would I plan to feed my people lamentations, or would I plan to feed them joy? I said to Jesus, my plan for preaching Galatians no longer seems relevant. What shall I do, Lord? He said, feed them joy. Feed them Philippians. Then he said, gather them for prayer the best way you can through Facebook. And so we've been gathering for midweek prayer on Facebook Live at noon every Wednesday. We plan for many things for many years, but we didn't plan on this until we had to. You know, I didn't have time to create the perfect plan for dealing with the ever-changing landscape of COVID-19. I barely had time to create a decent plan, let alone even a good plan. I like what General George S. Patton has to say about planning. Anybody else uh, like, like George Patton? I, I, I'm, I, like, I mean, I just like him. I don't know. He just appeals to me. Something about him I like. Here's what he had to say about planning. General Patton said, a good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. Well, we haven't violently executed any plan, but we didn't wait to execute a perfect plan. We executed a decent plan as quickly as possible in order to remain connected. Circumstances change, and when they do, plans have to change. I don't think Paul planned on spending two years under house arrest in Rome, but he did. And God helped Paul craft a new plan to write letters to churches, letters that are still being read and studied 2,000 years later, brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Philippians didn't anticipate Epaphroditus becoming ill and nearly dying when they sent him to Rome to help care for Paul's needs. And yet, had that not happened, then Paul may have never written Philippians. He may have never handed it to a healed Epaphroditus with instructions to take this home and read it to your home church. Circumstances changed, and so plans changed, but God's plan for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth that's never changed. Hear that again. Circumstances change. Plans change. But God's plan for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth, that has never changed. As Paul sat in his rented home under house arrest, he was finding joy in planning for the future. Notice that Paul's plans for the future took a measured approach. First the near future, and then the distant future. 
Paul's plan for the near future was to send Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi with this letter and to share with the church Paul's hope to visit them soon. Paul wanted the Philippians to rejoice and be glad in the midst of their circumstances and to gladly welcome Timothy into their community and to gladly rejoice and welcome Epaphroditus back home. Paul's measured approach allowed him to offer specifics about a plan for the near future while honoring the unknown of the distant future with his generalized intention, I myself will come soon, Lord willing. But for now, here's Timothy and Epaphroditus. Two weeks ago, pastors were given a task by the bishop in the cabinet of our annual conference to create a plan and a policy for how our congregation and other congregations will resume worship when their counties go green. Quickly, Winston Churchill's words came to mind. Plans are of little importance, but planning is essential. Intellectually, I understood that there is joy in planning for the future, but if I'm being honest, I've not found a whole lot of joy in crafting this policy. I've mostly found frustration. I found frustration because my desire is to create the simplest to follow policy while at the same time attempting to encapsulate the latest medical research into the safest protocol for how we can open our facilities to the largest number of people. Then I remembered. I remembered my class notes from seminary 15 years ago on how to lead a church through a pandemic. Yes, saved by the pandemics in Jesus class. All right, score. Y'all, that's a joke. There, there weren't no pandemics in Jesus class in seminary. They didn't teach stuff like that. We're all just figuring this out as we go. So I've wrestled. I've wrestled. I've been uncomfortable. Oh, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't mind making you uncomfortable, but I don't like being uncomfortable. And I've been having to deal with the, the stupid title of today's sermon. The joy of planning for the future. I've had to wrestle with that all week long. I've had to apply it to my own work while being convicted by the Holy Spirit that, yes, Randy, there is joy in planning for the future. You just got to reframe it. And then the Lord helped me to realize that I don't need to have specifics for the distant future written out. I do not have to have Christmas 2020 figured out. I do not have to have 2021 figured out. I only have to figure out the near future. Friends, like Paul, I myself am hoping in the Lord that by September we will be able to resume a schedule similar to the one we were all enjoying before the pandemic. But for now, for now, I've called a meeting of the Administrative Council for this Wednesday evening to study, feedback, and, and approve a COVID-19 policy and protocols for relaunching 
public ministry gatherings. Notice I said relaunching public ministry gatherings because the church never closed. We may not have been able to gather together in the same building or under the same roof, but the church never closed. I don't need anybody to reopen my church. I don't need anybody's permission to reopen my church because it's not my church. It's Jesus' church, and it never closed. It's not closed for the last 2,000 years. It's alive. It's well. Its doors are open. All Jesus did was multiply it to a bunch of houses all around us. So how do we relaunch public ministry gatherings? This plan is a measured approach. Like Paul, it's a measured approach that will help us live into the near future of resuming public worship this summer. While the details of such planning have at times been very, very frustrating, the joy of knowing that soon I'm going to be able to see many of your faces again together in the same room, and this time in a newly renovated sanctuary with new pews and all that other good stuff, y'all, that's just exciting. What a fellowship that will be. What a joy divine we will share in. So here's the planning. And here's to hoping and to the joy that goes with planning and hoping. Because hope says there is still a future. And if there is a future, then there is a plan. And if there is a plan, then there is a way to get there. And if there's a way to get there, then truly there is joy in planning for the future. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.